1 John 2, 3-11. Here's the words of the Apostle John. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself to also walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and knows not where he goes, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that you would illuminate this passage to us this morning, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us strength to be able to understand this very difficult passage. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us this morning. We thank you, God, because you are for us and not against us. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, First John, as it has been said, is the letter of joyful assurance, right? It's the letter of joyful assurance. John wrote the letter of 1 John. It says in verse 4 of chapter 1 that our joy may be full. And yet for many people, when they read 1 John, that's just the opposite effect that happens. Uh, 1 John doesn't often give people much assurance. And 1 John is sometimes the book that people avoid because they want to have joy. So I want to suggest that if we read 1 John and we don't receive assurance and joy from it, it's because we're not reading 1 John correctly. Because he specifically wrote it that we might have joy. He wrote it, as he says in verse uh, 21 of chapter 2, not because we don't know the truth. A lot of people think that John wrote the letter of 1 John because he was very suspicious of the people that he was writing to. And that he wants to root out those false believers that are in the church. Really, he says, I'm not writing this at all because I, I question whether you know the truth or not. Not at all. But rather that we might have joy. So our misunderstandings abound when it comes to 1 John. And this section that we read this morning is one of those passages uh, that abounds in misunderstanding. This passage from 3 to 11. And so this morning I hope to clear up a very important passage but it's going to require us to put on, as it's been said, our thinking caps. <laughs> okay, this isn't going to be a spoon sermon, but uh, there's a lot of important technical expressions in this passage that we're going to look at. And I trust we'll clear up this passage and bring us joy. 
Christ did not die and resurrect for us to be anxious, like we read two weeks ago from Augustine. Remember St. Augustine's quote? Augustine said, basically, the real secret to the Christian life is anxiety. Right? He said that in so many words. And many, many believers uh, believe that sort of a thing. They think, the only thing that's really going to keep me in the fold, and the only thing that's really going to motivate me to do good works is if I'm constantly worried about my salvation. If I'm questioning whether I'm really saved or not, um, that will motivate me to, to be serious about God and to be serious about doing good deeds and things like that. When really, in John and the other parts of the Bible, uh, throughout the whole Bible, it's the opposite. It's actually joyful assurance that motivates us to do good deeds. It's when we are resting in the love of God for us. It's when we're resting in the love of Christ for us. It's when we're assured of our salvation, assured of the things that God has done for us, and that we have an interest in those things that we actually find the motivation to live our lives. Does that make sense? We talked about that about two weeks ago. But let's look at this passage now. So in verse 3, he says this, And hereby we do know that we know him. So knowing him, Christianity is, is eminently about fellowship with God. And this passage is a continuation of chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, when John says, we have a message from the Father, and we declare it unto you in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So Christianity is eminently a relationship with God. It's fellowship with God. It's having a knowledge of God. And when he talks about knowing God, he doesn't mean it in just an intellectual sense where you just, you have a knowledge that God exists. Right? In, in a mere sense like that, where you just, you know God exists. So, so Tom knows God exists. Tom knows Jesus exists. He believes it. But John isn't saying what, that we know him in that simplistic kind of a way. But that we are acquainted with God. That we have a relationship with God and fellowship with God. And he writes it because John wants us to know that we know him, if we do. If we do know him, John is encouraging us. John wants us to have assurance of that fellowship. How many of you have ever doubted whether you really have fellowship with God? Have you ever doubted whether you're a Christian or not? I have. I have, definitely. And all commentators agree that when John writes these things, he's not writing with a tone of suspicion. He's just discussing this with, with believers actually because he wants the believers to know. He wants you to know that you know him. And he's giving you something to observe in your own life so that you might know. He's not trying to root out the false believers. He's trying to encourage the believers with this. He's saying, we, we do know that we know him, brothers and sisters. And there could be some concern because if you remember Jesus' words which many people would have been very familiar with, Jesus' words were that on, on, the, on the day of judgment when they stand before him, many people, the Greek word is polis, or most, most people will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't, don't we know you? <laughs> didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we uh, do many miracles in your name? Didn't you teach us? 
And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never, I never knew. So if Christ never knew you, it means you never knew him. You might have thought you knew him. So there's a lot of people that think they know Christ, and Christ has no, no knowledge of who they are in that intimate way, in that intimate relationship. And so this can cause a lot of concern. This causes a lot of concern for Christians too. How many of you want to hear that on Judgment Day? How many of you want to be duped on, during your life and find out on Judgment Day you've been deceived all your life? You know? I really thought I knew God. And then to hear that from Jesus would be devastating. Jesus says, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father that is in heaven. And John says here, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. I want to suggest that keeping the commandments is equivalent to the will of the Father. Because we know that we actually are in fellowship with God if we keep the commandments. And Jesus says, you know me if you do the will of the Father. So it's equivalent. So keep that in mind. Now I want to ask the question, what exactly, what exactly is keeping the commandments? Think about it for a moment. That's a rhetorical question, but think about it for a moment. What do you think keeping the commandments is? Because John says in no ambiguous terms, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So what is that? What does that mean? And I want to tell you, it is, a, it is astounding to wade through commentaries and to read the commentaries on this. It's astounding. Because most commentators that write on 1 John, I totally disagree with. Okay. <clears throat> it is amazing to me that commentators take keeping the commandments in a general sense. Okay. They take that in a general sense and not with a specific definition. And I want to suggest this morning that keeping the commandments is a very particular phrase to the Apostle John. And it has a very particular meaning. And I trust we'll see that by the end of this message. And he's not meaning it in a general sense. Now, if we take it in a general sense, to keep his commandments, so we say, well, whatever, I mean, in a general sense, that means whatever Jesus commands, uh, that is then what we do. So that would include the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus also taught a lot about obeying the law. You remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, keep the commandments, right? Now, Jesus uses the word commandments. Now, he's referring to the law. Now, if you take this in a general sense, that would mean John is saying, hereby we know that we have fellowship with God if we keep the law. Now, can I see a show of hands of uh, anyone here that uh, keeps the law? Anybody? Please, you keep the law of God. No, Kim can't raise her hand, so she'll just. <clears throat> if this meant we know that we know him if we keep the law, then none of you would know him and neither would I. Jesus told us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how many of you keep that commandment? Matt. No. 
really? <laughs> well, I mean, how, how seriously do you take this statement of John? We know that we know him if we keep the commandments. Anyone who says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, if you take that in a general sense and you just scour all of Jesus' commandments or anything that he told us to do, whether it be in the Sermon on the Mount or quoting from the law, then you have to conclude that you're not a Christian. John cannot mean we know we have fellowship with him if we don't sin. Now, how many of you know that sinning is when you break a commandment of God? Yes. But it can't mean here we know that we know God if we don't sin. That's an equivalent to keeping commandments in a general sense because we all sin. And notice what he says in verse, just two verses back in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you don't sin, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. For, so John is encouraging us not to sin, okay? And, and as, as, uh, as Christians, we encourage each other not to sin. But we also encourage each other that when we do sin, it doesn't mean that we're kicked out. It doesn't mean that we don't know God. It doesn't mean that we don't have fellowship with Him, because the whole point of the gospel is that we have an advocate with the Father, if you sin as a Christian, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the only righteous one. Actually, in his own, in his own essence. So he can't be saying now, we know that we know him if we don't sin. Because he just told us, if you sin, you're covered by Christ. And that's the point. That's the beautiful point. So, brothers and sisters, it must be more specific. And it is more specific. Because this expression, keeping his commandments, is actually a peculiar expression to the Apostle John. And he uses it. And we can see how he uses it in his gospel, in his letters, and in Revelation. He uses it in a specific way to mean a very specific thing. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, there are three places in the epistle of 1 John, three passages where John deals with keeping the commandments. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome in the Greek. They're not difficult. It's not going to weigh you down. It's not hard. It's light. Remember when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? <coughs> well, that gives us an indication of something. Uh, it's certainly not being in a general sense, being said in a general sense. And it's certainly not talking about the law because one thing we definitely know about the law is the law is burdensome. Uh, not because the law is bad, but because as sinners, when we are under obligation to keep the law, we, we fail. And the law becomes a, a hard thing, a burdensome thing. Um, you ever uh, read the book Pilgrim's Progress? If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you should read it. It's, uh, you should read it because of its amazing spiritual value. You should also read it because of its amazing literary value. It's considered to be one of the greatest works in English. Uh, second most popular book in English besides the Bible. But um, if you've, even if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you might be aware of the figure of the man with the big burden on his back. You know, this is from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John Bunyan is describing his own experience uh, through this man named Christian. 
And him trying to obey the law and trying to alleviate himself of his sins, he pictured himself with this huge burden on his back. He was burdensome and he was bent over trying to walk this path until finally he came to the cross and it just fell off. So when we talk about keeping the commandments, number one, it's not burdensome. It's not like a big burden on your back. It's not this big, heavy obligation over your head. It's easy to do. Super easy to do. Another thing we will find is that keeping the commandments is always connected with salvation. Keeping the commandments is always connected with salvation. Uh, Well, even in 1 John 2, verse 3, it says, we know that we know him if we keep the commandments. So you actually have a saving fellowship with God if you keep the commandments. Well, that's totally contrary to law because the law is never connected with salvation, is it? The law is always connected with the opposite. The law is always connected with condemnation. And it's the law that condemns us and we see that we can't be saved by the law because the law only condemns us, the law only kills us, that the law actually is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, to be saved by his grace. Galatians chapter 3. So keeping the commandments is always connected with salvation, which indicates it can't be the law or commandments in a general sense. So notice, go to John chapter 14. I want to highlight this point. John chapter 14. We're going to go to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John and the Epistle of John are always connected. John 14, verse 21. John 14, verse 21. Now this is completely out of place if John is referring to the law. That That would do violence to everything that the Bible teaches us about the law. So in John 14, 21 to 24, this is what it says. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, not Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So here there's actually three synonyms. He says, keeping my commandments, keeping my words, keeping my sayings. Those are three synonyms. They're all equivalent. So we see that keeping commandments isn't just... Uh, an expression of keeping commandments, but also of keeping the word of God, a word of Christ, and also the sayings of Christ. That kind of opens up some more vista. But notice how it's connected with salvation. If you keep my commandments or my words and my saying, guess what? God's going to love you and come in unto you. That's salvation. So therefore, he can't be talking about law. Show me a person who has kept the law And God has responded to that and made his abode with that person on the basis of their obedience to the law. That's just contrary to the entire gospel. Keeping the commandments, then, is a distinctly new covenant exhortation. When Jesus says, as a synonym, you keep my word and my sayings, this is a New Testament exhortation 
concept. This is a New Testament, New Covenant revelation. He's not referring now to the Old Covenant. He's not referring to the law. He's saying, that which I have brought, the sayings of mine is Christ, the, the word of Christ, the commandments of Christ, something different than Moses, a distinctly New Covenant word that if you, if you obey, then my Father will abo- make his abode with you. So you've got to be thinking this way. And this is the way John is using it. This peculiar expression is a new covenant exhortation. You'll notice in 1 John chapter 2, in the passage that we read, there's a similar synonym. In 1 John chapter 2, and turn back there again. We'll see how nimble you are with your fingers this morning and flipping around. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2 verse 5. A synonym again is used here. So John, uh, John is definitely seeing the same thing. He's got the same thing in mind. Hereby we do know from verse 3, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. It's, he's paralleling John 14. You see? About the love of God and God making his abode with him. So keeping the commandments is also equivalent to keeping his word, that distinctly new covenant word that comes from Christ alone, not from Moses. This is a special word, a special message that Moses did not bring, but that was revealed in Christ. Notice John chapter 12 now. Flip back to the gospel. Turn to John chapter 12. It's good for us to do this. John chapter 12. Verse 44. Jesus again mentions the commandments here. And also notice here, as in John 14, what we read, that, that to keep the commandments of Christ and to keep the word of Christ and to keep the sayings of Christ is the exact same as keeping the commandments and word and saying of God the Father that's being given through Christ in the new covenant. Okay, so, so to believe in Christ is to believe in the Father. To obey Jesus is to obey the Father. So here he says in John 12, 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. That's amazing, isn't it? We talk a lot about believing in Jesus, right? And believe me, we do. We, we believe in Jesus Christ. But Jesus wants us to know that when you believe in me, you're actually believing in God. And by knowing who I am, you know who God is. Because I am the express image of the Father. I'm the one who reveals to you who God is. Verse 45. And he that sees me sees him that sent me. I am come a light into the world. Whoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Interesting. So now he's talking about my word. My word that I'm preaching. Not Moses, not the prophets, my word that I'm preaching, which is the word of the Father in this time. 
if you don't believe it, they'll judge you on the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now this is in the Gospel of John. I challenge everybody to read the Gospel of John and ask the question, what is the message that Jesus is bringing in the Gospel of John? Like, if you take the Gospel of John as a whole, and you notice everything Jesus says, do this, by the way. Next, the next book you read, be it John. Make it John. And notice, what's the, what's the words that Jesus is saying from the Father that's different from Moses, that he's uniquely bringing, that's life everlasting for us? What are we, what's he saying and what do we have to do? Yes, actually. There is one message in the Gospel of John, and that's to believe. To believe in him. That's his word. Flip to Second John. <clears throat> Second John is after First John. Second John, <clears throat> verse four. There's only one chapter. Second John, verse four, gives us another little clue of this peculiar expression with John. Second John, verse four. I rejoice greatly that I found of your children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Walking in truth is equivalent to the commandment of the Father. Flip to Revelation chapter 22. Notice here how John uses the commandments in connection to salvation. Revelation 22, verse 14. If this means the law, then there's no hope for us. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Turn to 12, verse 17. Revelation 12, verse 17. <clears throat> Twelve seventeen says, The dragon was angry with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is called Hebrew parallelism, which John uses all the time. Basically, uh, it's, it's a very Hebrew thing to do in writing, that if you have in one sentence two things, they're actually saying the exact same thing a little bit differently. So when it says, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, it's called a Hebrew parallelism. It means that those are the same thing. They're equivalent. So to keep the commandments of God is to have the testimony of Jesus. And the last verse we'll look at in Revelation is 14.12. 14.12. Here's another Hebrew parallelism. <clears throat> Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they 
that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So the point here, brothers and sisters, is that this is a specific and not a general expression to John. And go back with me to 1 John. And all of this has been building up to now the next passage that I'd like to read in 1 John, where John explicitly tells us what keeping the commandments is. In 1 John. Which it amazes me that as Christians and commentators, we miss this. Because John says, we know that we know Christ if we keep his commandments. And a little later in the, in the epistle of 1 John, he explicitly tells us what it is to keep the commandments. If you don't believe me, turn to chapter 3 of 1 John. Verse 22. And we'll see here how the commandments of God is a specific expression and not a general one. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, it says here, Whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And verse 23. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he, Jesus, gave us believers. Commandment. He that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. So he explicitly tells us now what the commandments are. Number one, believe on the son. Believe on the son. That's the commandment of the father, that we obey. And if we are believers on the Son, the Son tells us, love one, one another. That's it. So hereby you know that you have fellowship with Him. Hereby you know that you know Him. If you believe on the Son, and if you, as a believer, love one another. Make sense? And it's amazing, this is actually what we find in, uh, in our passage again. So let's go back there for the last time. We won't uh, be flipping around anymore. So go to uh, 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> back to our passage. And we find in the same passage that we read, this uh, same thing about the commandments. So he says, if we, we know that we know him if we keep the commandments. And then in verse 7, he says, Beloved... I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. <clears throat> of course, this is piggybacking off of chapter 1, the word of the gospel, the word of faith, the word of Christ, the message of the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross for us so that we can be forgiven and have fellowship with God if we believe. That's the old commandment. The word that you have heard from the beginning piggybacking off of chapter 1. And in verse 8, then we have this other commandment, which is love one another. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. <clears throat> so someone might say, okay, Eli, I totally understand that keeping the commandments is believing on the Son. I get that. That's the will of the Father explicitly said by Jesus, many people on the judgment day will come to Christ and they'll say, 
Lord, I mean, I believe that you were the Messiah, Lord. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. But I, Lord, I, I thought I had to keep all the commandments uh, in a general sense to be saved. I thought I had to keep the law to be saved. It wasn't just believing in you. It was believing in you. Yeah, of course, that's necessary. But you also have to keep all these other commandments in order to be saved. <clears throat> you got to have works in there too. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You want to obey the law? You want to be right with me by law? Well, you're a worker of iniquity. You're a lawbreaker. You're lawless. That's the Greek word. Anyone who comes to God on judgment day and comes on the basis of their works and says, God, I have sought to obey the law and so be right with you, he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity because the law condemns you. If you wanted to be judged by law, then you're going to be judged by law, and you'll be condemned. Any religion that is based upon salvation through your own works will find you condemned. The true gospel of Christ is that Jesus Christ died so we could be saved by his grace, and anyone who believes in him, and believing in him means to trust in what he did on the cross for you, and not in your works, to put your confidence in his work and his grace and not to put confidence in his and yours. You're not really believing on him the way that the New Testament tells us to, if that's how you're thinking. And he'll say, I didn't know you because you never really knew me. You thought you knew me. You thought you knew me. But you didn't really know me. You didn't know what I did. You don't know my heart. You don't know the Father. You don't understand grace. Depart from me. And someone might say, well, okay, I get this whole thing about, uh, about believing. That's very clear. So I ask myself, how do I know that I know him? Well, I do believe in Christ the way that the New Testament tells me. I'm trusting in him. But what about this part about love? Right? What about this second command? Because <laughs> commandments is plural here. You got believe, I do that. But love, that still bothers me. I mean, because it says we know that we know him if we, if we love the brethren. And he that says he's in the light and hates his brothers in darkness until now, he that loves his brother abides in the light. Where do you draw the line with that? When can you say that you've loved the, the brethren enough? How many of you feel like you love, uh, you love the brethren perfectly? You love the brethren. <clears throat> yeah. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't puffed up, isn't rude, seeks not its own. Again, we find 2-1, yeah, if any man sins, you know, that's a big verse of comfort for us. You see, when, when, we, when we read about, we know that we know him if we love the brethren, this also needs to be understood. Because if we take this expression also in just sort of a general way, it means you're always kind with the brethren. You always love the brethren. You never get frustrated with another Christian. <clears throat> you're never unkind to another Christian. They never bother you. You're always seeking their good. You're never proud. Then none of us really do know God. True or false? 
John here is specifically talking about when he says we love the brethren, he's specifically talking about Christian brothers and sisters. <clears throat> but he encourages us. And notice what he says in verse 8. This new commandment about loving the brethren is true in him and in you. So John says, look, if you have believed on the Son, then this other command about loving the brethren is true in you. Did you know that? He, he says it before we even really know what's going on. He makes this statement before we can even fathom it. But he says, Linda, this new commandment about loving the brethren, it is true in you. Bonnie, Jacob, it is true in you. And he encourages us with that. Isn't that amazing? That, is, that kind of verse is supposed to make you go, what? It's true in me? Are you sure it's true in me? Can you explain how it's true in me? Because I just got angry at my Christian spouse yesterday. <clears throat> how can you say then it's true in me <laughs> that I love? The true light shines. The darkness has passed for those who believe in God, uh, in Christ in God through Christ, the true light shines. The true light affects us now. It was, uh, it was Plato who himself, he never, he never discovered what the good and the beautiful was. He was always ser searching for it. But he said that uh, you cannot see the, the beautiful without being affected by it. You can't. And that's very true for us as Christians. That we cannot see Christ. We cannot know God through Christ. We cannot have our eyes open to see the glory of God through Christ without being affected by it. <clears throat> Matthew Poole, the commentator uh, from the 1600s, says this about that. The true light represents the gracious design of God and his very nature, which is love. With so bright and glorious beams as ought to transform us into his likeness, and which therefore render the mutual hatred of one another the most incongruous thing to us in the world. And yet you still might ask, this is still bothering me. Because <laughs> I have believed on Christ and I do know God is gracious and has saved me, but I still got upset the other day. I'm just going to touch on this this morning and we're going to deal with it in, again. And basically, all these things this morning, you'll have, to, you'll have to chew on and think about. But turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. I'd like to show you how John is envisioning this. How John is really thinking about this. When he says, Jacob, you do love Bonnie. It is true in you. You love all the brethren. It is true in you. And this is how he's envisioning it. In 1 John chapter 3, I used to read this and not understand it. One day it hit me like a ton of bricks. Verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And then he says this. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, Why, why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks one day. Because I asked the question, how does the world hate me? It got me thinking for a sec. How does the world hate me? I mean, the world doesn't always hate me. I mean, if I go walking down the street, it's not like people just run me over in their car. I know a lot of non-Christian people who are very kind to me. Do you guys? Now, according to John, uh, if you aren't in Christ, you're of the world, and the world hates you. But it's interesting that when, when he talks about the world hating you, we have to think about this in a very specific way. He's not talking about it in a general way because you don't, the world just doesn't hate you. They might even know you're a Christian and not hate you. If you're thirsty, a non-Christian may give you a drink. They may do it with a good, a good attitude. I just really want to bless this person. They may think that. So he says the world hates you, but at the same time, sometimes it doesn't always look that way. And then at the same time, he says, Christians, you love one another. You love the brethren. It doesn't always look that way, right? There's something specific he's getting at, and this is what it is. In verse 12, he says the word as, and he says the word why. We should love one another, not as Cain. We should not be as Cain. Here's the example of hate and love. We should not be as Cain who was of the wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? There's the question. That's the big one. That is the ultimate question. Why did Cain kill Abel? Why? John is asking, why do we do what we do? Why do we hate? Why do we love? Of course, we know when it came to Cain and Abel, the issue, all we know about Cain and Abel is this. Cain worked to be right with God, and Abel didn't. Cain offered what he had worked for, and Abel offered a lamb that he hadn't worked for. Abel was accepted, and Cain wasn't. Now, of course, Abel had to offer that because he was a sinner. They had to do something in order to be right with God. And he hated that. And the issue with Cain and Abel is the issue, it's a, it's a picture of what goes on in our world today, that those who are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ are hated by those who are seeking to be righteous by their own works. And here's the point of what John's saying. Christians, it's true in you, you will never, ever, if you truly are a believer, this doesn't make you a believer, this is a proof that you are a believer, you will never be like Cain, ever. Impossible if you're a believer. You'll never look at another person and see that they were accepted by grace and accepted not on the basis of their works but on the basis of Christ and for that reason hate them. Never. Impossible. And in fact, if you do hate somebody, why do you hate them? That's the question. Why do you hate them? Because, well, he was accepted. By grace, if you hate someone on that basis, you're not a believer, period. We know that we have passed from death to life if we love 
the brethren. He says the brethren very specifically there. He doesn't say every man in the universe. He's talking about something specific. He's talking about, I love Lucy. <laughs> I love Lucy. Because when I think about the fact that she is a saved person by God's grace and not because of her works, she's put their, her faith in Christ. I love that about Lucy. I don't hate Lucy for that. No way. Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, anybody who gives a cup of cold water to a disciple, because he's a disciple, won't lose his reward. Very important verse. Because he's a disciple. You know, the world will give you a cup of cold water. The world will give you a cup. If you're thirsty, the world will give you a cup of cold water. But the world will never, ever give a cup of cold water to you just because you're a Christian. Just because you are saved by his grace. On the basis of you being saved by grace, I'm going to give you a cup of water. Never. But they'll give you a cup of cold water for another reason. A Christian may withhold giving a cup of cold water to another Christian on the basis of something else. Maybe uh, you got upset because um, somebody, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe your Christian brother sinned against you. Maybe your Christian brother did something that was made you angry. And so for that, on that reason, you withhold the cup. I'm not going to go to his house today. Right? I'm not going to be kind to you. But it's not because that person is a Christian. It's not because that person is saved by grace. It's not as Cain. Does that make sense? This is a lot to think about, isn't it? This is probably new for a lot of people, but we'll, we'll talk about it again. But brothers and sisters, here's the point. If you believe on Christ, and if you know God through Christ, then you do love the brethren. This is something that is true about you. Period. So John wants to encourage us, and I want to encourage you this morning. God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. God wants you to know that you know him, and you know that you know him if you believe the gospel, and if you notice that you don't hate people for being saved by grace. If you don't believe the gospel, then the Bible tells us that you're in darkness and you're blind. You're blind. You don't even, you don't even realize that you're condemned. You don't even realize that you're in the darkness. A blind person doesn't know they're in the darkness. A blind person, if you're in the darkness, you haven't kept his commandments. You may be trying to keep the law, but you haven't kept the commandments of God, which is to believe on the Son and to love the brethren. So if you do not believe, then believe today, because you don't know when you'll have another chance. Rejoice with assurance, believers, if you believe the gospel, then Rejoice. You know him, and he knows you. And he loves his own. Let's pray.